Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. I'm your host, Philip Kim. I'm the director of tennis for the city of Azusa and a tennis pro at the Langham Huntington Hotel in sunny Pasadena, California. And with me is my beautiful co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Hey, Philip. Hi, Valerie. How are you enjoying Roland Garros? So far, so good. Roger's made it through. Serena's made it through. All my other favorites have made it through as well. <laughs> Osaka just scraped by today. Wow. Yeah, that was good. How about you? Or have you been watching any? I've been watching so much tennis. I am having a hard time keeping up. I feel like there are so many matches. Plus, there are a lot of players that I don't know. I, I feel pretty versed in tennis, but it seems like there's a whole slew of new tennis players that are at Roland Garros. It, does that seem like that for you? I just always feel that way when there's a slam because it's what 128 people in the draw so you tend to see a lot of qualifiers and like just names you're not used to seeing regularly exactly so it's been good i've been learning a lot of names and uh, new faces so that's been a lot of fun and it's really fun to see that there is a depth of tennis out there with all of these people who are coming up and not just the big names Yeah, I love it. I love it. And of course, it's just clay. When the clay court season's here, it's such a little part of the year that you really just try and, or at least for me, try and appreciate the difference of the way the game is played. It definitely is a different game, and it's been exciting to see so many drop shots and touch uh, play, as well as longer rallies in clay and just having to be patient. So I guess that also means that the sets are longer in general. And maybe that's why it feels like so much more tennis. (laughs) What's exciting to me is when they do the drop shot, the the game changes, right? They're both coming up to the net. It becomes a touch game and a tactical game. And it's basically short tennis. So it's a lot of fun to see that. And I'm constantly trying to educate people, hey, play short tennis. It becomes a different game when you move um, in past the service line towards the net. It's touch, feel, and control. And that's a lot of fun. So a little bit like doubles, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is totally off Roland Garros, but whenever I play, I always, even though I'm not a good volleyer, I always think I'm going to like chip and charge because I think I'm Roger or something. And I'll like do like a slice shot and I'll run into the net and then, um, and then I get lobbed so easy. (laughs) Like every time I'm like, Oh my God, why did you do that? (laughs) You're not a professional. Stop trying these things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of professional and coaching, On this podcast, we have someone very special, and I'm excited to share her story with all of our listeners today. We're introducing you to Carol Shaw McLennan. Carol Shaw McLennan is the director of tennis at Laurel Creek Country Club during the outdoor season. So that's kind of interesting, right, Valerie, because they have an indoor and an outdoor season, which is foreign to us here in California. Yes, it's true. I mean, this year it's kind of rained almost like a record amount, it feels like, but in general, we're so blessed. Yes, absolutely. Carol also is a staff pro and tournament director and event coordinator at Cherry Hill Health and Racquet Club during the indoor season. So a completely different location. Oh, got you. And she's been involved with the USTA in New Jersey for over 20 years. I think it was kind of interesting in the interview, she talked about how New Jersey is broken up into different USTA sections. 
And probably most notable, she is on the USTA National Sportsmanship Committee. So we have an in-depth discussion about sportsmanship and some of the goals that the USTA is trying to improve upon for sportsmanship. That definitely piqued my interest. Carol has been a member of the Professional Tennis Registry, also known as the PTR, since 1997. She has a great respect for the organization and the staff, and she's made so many friends through PTR around the world. So she's going to talk a little bit about that as well. Let's have a listen to Carol Shaw McLennan. Carol, welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles. Thank you for being on our show. And I think it's amazing to meet uh, via our good friend, Holly. And can you tell a little story about how you guys connected and how you came to know about Tennis Pal? Well, Hal and I actually met on a flight that was not supposed to fly to Savannah, but because of a huge storm, we both ended up on the same flight. She, I believe, was coming from L.A. I was coming from Philadelphia. And we both were changed out of Charlotte instead of flying direct to Hilton Head. We were going to both going to the PTR symposium. So we both ended up in line at the United booth, and we had to get transferred to Savannah. And for some reason, we became instant friends. We ended up in the same Uber ride on the way to Hilton Head. And for what could have been the worst thing that happened in the world, it certainly was a very simple thing that happened. But because of that, I met Hella and uh, Mata. It was great. That is great. So did you actually sit together with him in the plane? No, but we kind of realized we were all heading the same place. And when we came out of the flight, we said, oh, let's all get an Uber together. So it worked out great. Oh, that's so smart. And uh, for our listeners, can you explain what the PTR is? PTR stands for Professional Tennis Registry. And it's the um, one of the two largest teaching organizations for tennis uh, in the world. So it's PTR, Professional Tennis Registry, and USPTA. And those are the two. And I've been with the PTR now for 25 years. Great. So is there one specific reason you chose PTR versus USPTA back in the day? You know, it was actually chosen for me by the club I was working at. They, They decided that they would like to send me to get certified. And they did all the the legwork, and I went to the workshop I was to go to, and it was the best thing I ever did in my whole life. Oh, that's awesome. Well, let's let's take a step back. How did you get started in tennis? Uh, you said it wasn't lifelong. Um, when did you start? Well, I actually started in my late 30s. I was not a tennis player growing up. I was a softball player and other sports, but tennis was not one that I that I hooked on to, and I picked up racquetball in the late 70s and early 80s. It was very active in racquetball. And a a girlfriend that I played racquetball with said, well, I think we're going to start to play tennis. I said, sign me up. So she did. And from the first clinic I took, I totally fell in love. I said, why haven't I been playing tennis? And it was all uphill from there. (laughs) <laughs> what what was it about those first moments in, in the clinic that you enjoyed so much about it? You know, I, first of all, there were six people playing at the same time. So, you know, racquetball was usually two people, maybe four. But here I'm in a clinic with six people and I'm having a ball. It was fun. My first tennis pro I'm still friends with today. And that was, like I said, 25 some years ago, maybe almost 30 years ago now for, for my clinic. But yeah, I just found it 
it was fun. It was fast. I had the best time. That's great. And a little bit like softball, you get to hit a ball. Yeah, but there's a lot more. There's, you know, you have to think and run and prepare. There's a lot more thinking and a lot more strategy, I think, in tennis. And it happens while you're moving. So you got this fire in you from that clinic, and then how did that progress? How did that grow? You know, it, it grew into me wanting to play a lot more, and um, I ended up working at the desk at the racket club. And one day a pro did not come in for his uh, little, we call it red ball now, but back then it was called peewees. And the manager said, well, if you want, I could send you down and you could do that clinic. And I said, you know, I think I could do that. And when I came up, she offered me a job. Could I do it again next week? And they're the ones that sent me to get certified. And of course, teaching red ball is one of my favorites to this day. And what club was that that you started at? That was in Medford, New Jersey. It was called Arrowhead. It's still called Arrowhead. It's there. And from Arrowhead, I moved to uh, Cherry Hill Racket Club in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Great. So you're you're in your early 30s. You're start, starting to play tennis. What was the tennis scene like in New Jersey during that time? You know, what I remember is there was a league. And if you were anybody, you had to play in this league. And my first partner and I got in the league and we stayed in it for many years, started at the bottom rung and ended up at the top rung by the end. Uh, What do you mean by league? I'm not familiar with that term. Well, you know, it was a group. It was run by the club and it was a group of ladies. It was all doubles. And there were several levels from A. I think we started in like level J. There were so, so many different and there were like six teams in each level. And you had a match every Wednesday. And you never made plans on Wednesday. You were there for tennis. That's great. So you were all uh, committed to each other to play, and you built a community out of it. Very much so, yes. Awesome. And that was run by the club. It was. Yeah, it was like an in-house league. And that led me into USTA League Tennis. I'm sorry. uh, How are you spelling league? (laughs) Because this is a new word for me. L-E-A-G-U-E. League. Oh, gotcha. That, is it my Jersey accent? It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> How fun is that going to be when it comes over on the... Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, California Surfer Boys over here, we say league. That's, yeah. League. So, so sorry. <laughs> I love that your accent is coming through, and yet we, we both have a passionate love for tennis, so that's really exciting. So you went on, you were playing league for a... a for a while now, and then you started teaching um, red ball, as you said, peewee, I guess it was called back then. And w- can you describe like what you were playing, uh, what kind of rackets? That, that's a really exciting time, right? You're really discovering tennis, you're discovering rackets, you're discovering kind of the technology, the strings, the whole thing. You know, when I first, the first clinic I took, I, I said, I'm sorry, I don't even have a racket. And they said, that's all right, we'll give you one. And they gave me a racket. And I did that for several weeks. And then I was so proud of myself. I went out and I bought a racket and I came back and I showed the pro. I said, look, I have my own racket now. And he looked at it and he said, Carol, that's not a racket. That's a club. Let me, <laughs> let me get you a good racket. So my first choice, I didn't know. I grabbed one off the shelf. It was probably at Kmart or something. Sure. I, I knew nothing about rackets. And back then it didn't matter. I just wanted to hit the ball. But now I, I'm very particular about my rackets nowadays. And I'm very particular about making sure that, you know, the, the kids that are playing are using the right size rackets and good rackets that are they're going to help them to improve. 
Yeah. So do you remember what the first racket was that he gave you to use? Can I say? Sure, please. It was it was a, a blue Spalding racket. Oh, the one that he gave me to use. I think it was a Wilson Hammer. Ah, okay. Wilson Hammer. I remember that name. Yeah. That's great. And how did it feel to you? Do you remember, was it like super powerful? Or? Oh, it just felt so much better in my hands. Sure. Yeah. Because the Spalding felt like a piece of wood. As he said, a club. <laughs> a club. <laughs> That's awesome. And so I think the Wilson Hammer, that was already composite, right? It, it wasn't a wood racket. Correct. Correct. Yeah. By the time I started to play, and so I remember the first time I really watched tennis seriously was the year that Jimmy Connors played Aaron Crickstein at the U.S. Open. And Jimmy Connors was 39. Jimmy Connors and I are exactly the same age within a month of each other. And it was, he beat Aaron Crickstein at the U.S. Open. And it just was not supposed to happen, a 39-year-old guy. Nowadays, look at our guys now, you know, they're well, they're well into their thirties and it's not even a question. Yeah. And that was an, a very epic match and an epic moment for tennis for uh, Jimmy Connors to play so late in, and it actually was a comeback, right? Uh, he had actually retired and came back. You know, I was so new to tennis. I'm not sure I know the answer to that, but it's certainly possible because I mean, back then you didn't play you didn't play when you were almost 40 years old. Yeah. You, you retired. You did retired. Yeah. You know, you retired. You retired when you were 30, actually. So you didn't even get to that level. So you saw that match live at the US Open? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I wish I had watched yeah. it on TV. But that was that was the first match that I really got excited about watching tennis. And I love to watch tennis. Yeah. So, and at that time, tennis was kind of nationalized, right? They would actually be able to, you'd be able to watch it on television fairly regularly uh, on a national channel. Correct. Yes. Good point. So that's not, a, not so much anymore. Not so much. It's kind of a big difference. And I, I think one of the reasons that's not as popular, if you're into it and it, it's a very niche thing, you can find it. And there's probably more tennis available now than there ever has been in history, but you really have to be into it and search for it because there's so many other things that are competing against it. True. Good point. So you started teaching and tell me the evolution. Was it kind of a slow burn? You, you moved up into different positions? You know, it actually moved more quickly than I would have or ever have anticipated. Went from uh, doing the little uh, munchkin clinic on to doing some private lessons. And within a, a couple of years, I was doing, you know, adult drills and giving private lessons on a regular basis. That's great. And I'm sure people loved you and the way that you taught. And what, what, how would you describe the, your teaching method? That is a really interesting question. Well, I will say that I think the fact that I started my tennis much later in my life gives me a, a really good insight to taking beginners and teaching them tennis because I can still remember things that worked for me as an adult. So I, I kind of use, use that as a little bit of a pathway into how do how do I address teaching a beginner who's never played tennis before? They're actually like some of my favorites to teach. That's awesome. And did you at all feel uh, a bit inferior because you didn't start playing at the age of three or five? <laughs> That's another great question. Absolutely. To this day, when I look around and I'm you know I'm at workshops, and there's people that have played Division One 
tennis or, oh, here's an ex-tour player. And then here's me. And I'm like, well, I can't believe I'm in the same, I'm in the same stadium with these people watching this workshop. Yes, it's, um, there's definitely an inferiority complex. Yes. (laughs) I'm like you. I started late in the tennis game as well, but but just like you, I've just tried to get as far as I possibly can, fueled by the passion. You know, there's so much out there, and PTR offers a lot. And I'm I'm very devoted to PTR because they've done so much for me as well. But they really do give you great pathways. So they, they've really been instrumental in educating me on how to teach. And, and, you know, anybody can go out and hit tennis balls. But there is a definite method we should be using and pathways we should be using. And I'm just really dedicated to continuing. I continue to learn and grow and uh, encourage my other pros that work for me and work with me to do the same. Oftentimes when people start coaching, their personal tennis suffers a bit because you're just really feeding the balls often. You're learning a lot about tennis, but maybe you're not um, striving for high performance for yourself. Did you find that at all, or did you feel like it was hand-in-hand hand for you? No, I think that's a good point, um, and I'm, I'm sure we all suffer from that a little bit, that you know, you, you get into a pattern of coaching versus being competitive, and there's, they're just on two different planes. And you know, If I get serious and I'm really going to compete, then I have to change my thinking a little bit. Are you a competitive person by nature? Uh, I would say yes, I am. <laughs> Do you think that's part of the fuel for tennis? Sure it is. Yeah, it's fun. Absolutely. I love I love competition. It's great. Yeah, I think it's really great. I've often heard that we're losing a little bit of the competitive edge here in the United States as far as tennis because we're being overcoached in a way and we're not playing enough games and not enough matches. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, it's a good, that's a good observation and I think it is starting to change again. So, you know, one of the things that our kids need to do is play and compete instead of feeding balls and saying, oh, great shot. They need to go out and literally play the matches. So I think the balance is changing where it used to be a private lesson where a coach feeds a lot of balls or a group where the coach is constantly feeding. Now it's a little bit of warm up. And now we're moving into a lot of competition. Yeah. Would you say that's a general trend that you've seen in coaching over the years? Or? Over the past, just the past couple of years, yes. Okay. How about the long view? How have you seen um, coaching change? How have you seen the PTR change? Well, PTR is probably one of the most dynamic organizations. They're just constantly looking to change and improve uh, to the point they've actually added pickleball to to their um, registry, and that's a whole nother that's a whole nother talk for another time. But it just shows you they're progressive and they're dynamic. Um, I, I think the pathways are changing, and we're realizing how important it is to 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 guide and discover. Let the kids play, but give them the right equipment, the right court size. Um, the right scoring system, and let them go out and play. That's great. Seems to be working. Also, as a female coach, there's been some dynamic changes in the recent years, but how have you seen that progression change for yourself? It's it's wonderful to see how many female coaches are starting to be very proactive 
Um, there's a teaching organization. I don't know if you're familiar with the WTCA. Yeah, start, we, started we did a started by Sarah, Sarah Stone. Yeah, yeah, she's terrific. She Sarah is. is amazing, and the the good thing about Sarah is she's young. So there's a she's going to create a great legacy for female coaches, and it's not just coaching tennis. We need female. We need strong female coaches and role models in every every aspect of our lives. And any kind of sport needs good, strong female coaches. How have you uh, experienced being a female in kind of a coaching man's world? It's still a coaching man's world, um, and I don't say that with any angst, but it, it it's kind of a fact. Um, I've had a couple of issues over the years, but nothing that would really set me back. And you just move forward and onward and upward is how I look at it. Um, if something, and I've had a couple issues with some um, other pros over the years that if it looked like a bad thing that happened, it turned out to be a really good thing. So just kind of believe in what I do. And again, my passion is what leads me. So uh, I hope I can do the same thing I'm doing for another 10 years. That's great. And are you seeing any openness from the PTR to what the WTCA is offering? Oh, yeah, huge. Yes, they're, they're good partners. It's a great partnership. What have you seen uh, kind of concrete that you can share? Any stories? Or- well, I, I, like how the org- I like how PTR is run. There's um, several women on the board. There's several women in the office and they are the first to embrace any female coach that wants to come in. And that's where I first met Sarah. It's been probably four years now, but Sarah Stone did a lecture there. I think it was four years ago. And they're just constantly looking for female coaches to come out, deliver, deliver lectures, deliver workshops. That's exciting. That's great. And four years ago, that that was uh very early in the life of the WTCA. Yes, yes. Probably just a, a thought and a dream at that time. I was going to say, may have just been an idea back then. And in, in what, two or three short years, they've come a very, very long way. That's awesome. You have also been uh, nominated to the USTA National Sportsmanship Committee. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yeah. That's like one of my favorite things. Uh, I'm I'm a big proponent on educating our kids as soon as possible. And I'm talking little four, five, six-year-olds about the right way and the wrong way, what's what works properly on the court and how you act on the court um, kind of is how you are in your life. And the, the earlier we can develop our kids and their sportsmanship, I just think the whole game is better off. Yeah, it does seem there's kind of a, a growing problem with cheating and out calls in the junior division of tennis players right now. Are you seeing that as well where you are? Yes, although the, the USTA is working really hard to come up with solutions to that. How can we, um, what incentives can we offer our kids to just let them realize that being open and honest and fair to their opponents, respecting themselves, respecting the rules, respecting their surroundings. It's just all going to make them a better person. And tennis happens to be the conduit for that. And how do you educate the parents? Have you guys talked about that? You know, we have parent meetings. I run tour- I run junior tournaments. And when I introduce everyone, I make sure that the kids shake hands and the parents meet each other. 
The USTA actually is asking us to have the kids have to sign uh, a sportsmanship pledge and they read the pledge and it just says, I'm going to call the lines fairly. I understand it's my responsibility, um, you know, respect my surroundings. And they sign that pledge. We actually have a, an opportunity. We offer the parents the same thing, that the parents will act responsibly off the court, know that there's no coaching and um, just let the kids play the match and handle the lines themselves. I know a lot of people are suggesting that maybe the parents are more the issue than the kids themselves. Sometimes that can be the case, yes. And uh, it's a hard hard nut to crack, I'm sure. Yes. I'm smiling as I say that. <laughs> I said I just hope that with the kids coming to the tournaments and signing the pledges and having a good experience at the tourney, tournament with fair calls, and um, respect for the rules that that will continue and they'll want to come back and play more matches. The National Sportsmanship Committee, does it affect all levels of tennis or what, what is the target? It does. It does. It affects everything from red ball competition all the way up to super seniors. And international as well, yes. Does it affect the pros at all, or is that separate for ATP, WTA? No, they, we actually offer a sportsmanship award. The USTA gives a sportsmanship award at the U.S. Open to um, a male and a female player who demonstrated exceptional sportsmanship during the tournament. That's great. I, I have never heard of that. Uh, we always hear about the... ATP Sportsmanship Award that Roger Federer wins every year. <laughs> but I, I didn't know that the USTA had one. Do you, how is that presented? You know, it is, it's presented before the end of the tournament. Besides that, what else does the committee do? Uh, that's a wonderful moment, I'm sure. You know, we're just constantly looking for any avenue that will give players a reason to just demonstrate their best, their best behavior on the court and off the court. Right. You know, I mean, as far as giving um, giving kids incentive, uh, vibration dampeners be a good sport with be a good sport on it. Um, giving something out, giving little cards out at tournaments with a pledge on it that they can carry. They sign it and carry it in their bag. Um, huge a huge banner with a sportsmanship sportsmanship pledge that we um, take a picture of the winners in front of that. Just looking for any avenue that we can, you know, encourage them. Yeah. So is uh, how would you speak to coaches uh, around the country that are learning about the sportsmanship committee? Is there something, that, some way that they can get involved, information? Is there funds available in a grant or anything? Well, I think the best option would be for them to talk to their tennis server rep in their area. Their USTA, TSR can definitely help them with ideas on how to, and even at lessons, you, you want to start right there at the very beginning. Lessons, junior clinics, tennis camps. I'm just a big believer. Start in the beginning and give them the best opportunity to show their very best side. That's really fun to learn about that committee and to know that there is a big focus for the USTA. It is. It's a big focus and it's an important focus. I think so too. So you started uh, teaching red ball, and now you've become the director of tennis for Laurel Creek Country Club. 
Tell us a little bit about that position. Well, I've been there now for 10 years and um, probably one of the, the best moves I made. I still work at an indoor club. So in New Jersey, we have definite indoor and outdoor seasons because of our cold weather, unlike you on the West Coast, where you just <laughs> play outside for 12 months a year. Yeah. We unfortunately go inside in October and go back outside. We, we hibernate for those six months indoors, and then we go out back outside. So the country club has four hard true courts. We have two ladies teams. Um, we have a, a huge tennis camp that I run in the summer. Um, lots of members. It's a very young membership. So, uh, for instance, on Tuesday, last Tuesday, I had 16 kids out for red ball, which to me, that's the future of our whole program. That's a lot of kids on one court. So red, we just separate the courts down and we make sure there's four kids on each court and it worked out perfectly. That's great. When you say young membership, what do you mean in that demographic? Well, you know, country clubs kind of have the the reputation of an older, more established community. Our community is much younger. We have lots of members with um, you know, newlyweds, uh, kids just or uh, uh, couples just having their first baby or two or three kids just uh, just growing up at the country club. That's great to hear. So uh, what are some of your other responsibilities there at the country club? Well, staffing, number one, staffing for um, the adult programs, as well as our summer tennis camp, which goes for 10 weeks, um, keeping the courts in the best shape we can keep them. And I don't know if you know what Hard True is out on the, on the West Coast there. So Hard True is like a clay court. So there's a lot of maintenance involved. So making sure the maintenance is done properly. Um, we have a small pro shop, just make getting inventory in for um, the rackets and things that the members would like to uh, would like to demo and perhaps buy. Um, you know, staff meetings, typical. That's the business side of tennis. Yeah, and I'm sure you guys have discussions about how to grow tennis uh, in your area. Would you mind sharing some of those thoughts? You know, I'm always looking. I'm happy if every year we can add two or three new programs. So this year, um, our big new program is pickleball. We added a pickleball court. Um, but we're always looking to add one or two new things every year, whether it's a tournament. Last year, we ran tournaments for the juniors in, in all the levels. We ran a red tournament, orange ball, green ball, and um, anyone 14 and above played yellow. So just always looking to add something new and different. I guess at a country club, it's a little bit different because you're specifically trying to cater to members, I'm sure, and it's not necessarily open to the public. You know, members are allowed to bring guests in. So we do have um, people that come with a member to try and sometimes they'll come back and play again, but it is primarily a, uh, a membership driven program. Yes. Are you involved in tennis, um, outside of the country club? Well, I'm involved in, of course, the USTA and, um, you know, I, I play USTA leagues. I play on several teams when I get a chance, I don't get a lot, but I try to get two or three matches in for each team that I play on. Um, and then of course the indoor club, I'm, I'm there six months a year. How is the USTA league in your area? Uh, or I should say leg. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, please don't apologize. It, it was my misunderstanding. 
Uh, I know Holly and I have talked about how the, the league in Southern California often feels like it's diminishing. And even like open tournaments that Holly will want to play, uh, sometimes people don't sign up for the tournaments. Uh, do you have any sense of what your USTA league is doing? You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you that Halle is probably on the right track with her comments because it's the same here. There are lots of opportunities, but it doesn't seem like people are playing as much as they used to. And I know the tournaments are, are really, they're trying, USTA is really trying to make the tournament seen a little easier for people to embrace where, you know, you used to play in a tournament. You had to be there Friday, whether you had a match or not, win or lose, you went back Saturday for another round and it ended up to be a three day event. So USTA is really working hard to, to create one day tournament opportunities for both kids and adults. And it's just a nicer way to play. Yeah. Do you have a sense of the state of tennis in New Jersey in general? You know, New Jersey's a funny state because we actually are divided within two sections. So the lower half of New, well, actually three quarters of New Jersey, and I, I am outside of Philadelphia, so I'm very South Jersey. We belong to middle states and the area around New York City, like that metropolitan area, belongs to the eastern section. So there's two definite, de uh, definite divisions there between the eastern section and the middle state section. And they're different. You know, the sections operate a little bit differently. They're all under the auspices of USTA, but each one has their strengths and weaknesses. And how about like uh, growing levels of players or people getting involved? You know, they changed the leagues a few years ago and changed the age groupings a little bit. So there are more opportunities now. So, like, I can play in an 18 and over league. I can play in an over 40 league. I can play in an over 55 league. And now I can play in an over 65 league. I have a lot of chances to play. <laughs> almost almost too many chances. So I have to pick and choose what works best for me. But there's definitely opportunity out there. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like what you said. There's a lot of opportunity. Maybe not so much the players yet, but... Uh, yeah, hopefully with all of these new programs and kind of the USTA focus with reaching 18 to 34 uh, that and also all the training that you're doing with young kids, uh, hopefully that'll grow the next generation of tennis. Yes, here's hoping. And that's a, that 18 to 34 age group. That's the age that we're losing. And we really need to find ways to get them out there and keep them playing. Yes, I agree. Well, let's talk about your personal passion uh, for tennis. Um, right now is the French Open, so you must be watching a lot of t TV tennis. Getting a little bit in, yes. And do you have a favorite player? Well, <laughs> Roger is absolutely my favorite. <laughs> Just I, I love Roger. I was a Sampras fan. I loved that was like when I first started to play. I loved the way Pete played. I liked that he was kind of a quiet kind of guy. And I think I like Roger for the same reason. I like those serve and volley guys. Um, Roger, to me, is the epitome of sportsmanship. Although I hear that as a junior, he was not necessarily always the most well-behaved. So that's maybe even more reason to admire him, that he's really grown into a, a very – he's an amazing competitor and such a good sport, both on and off the court. Yeah, I think we're – 
very lucky to live in an era of Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, uh, both who have won the Sportsmanship Awards and both insane champions. Yes, and uh, off the court, uh, very philanthropic with with what they they've earned, and they're they're very willing to pass it on. Yeah. Well, you've been in tennis for uh, thirty plus years. So, have you had any chance to meet any of these pro players, or do you have any great stories to share? Ah, oh, let me see. I guess one of my favorites is Todd Martin. Todd Martin is one of the nicest guys out there. In fact, he was the uh, he was one of the leads on the sportsmanship committee two years ago. Just a really really nice guy. Um, had a chance to meet him. Where was that? That was at the U.S. Open. Um, I met him at I, I met him before that at the racket club at Cherry Hill Racket Club, and um, just by happenstance had the opportunity to to catch up with him at the U.S. Open as well. Just a, a really class act. Um, very nice guy, very hard worker. I was really impressed with his work ethic. You know, he's, he does a little announcing, but he's very involved with USTA as well. Great. How about your idol, Roger? Haven't met Roger yet. Can you fix that? Can you make that happen? <laughs> well, if you come to Indian Wells, you have a really good chance because the practice courts are very accessible and uh, they often walk to and from, uh, although it's getting bigger and bigger with Larry Ellison's uh, involvement but i feel like it's maybe one of the best chance i've heard from other fans who have been to slams that it's one of the best chances you have to meet meet people well i went to indian wells two years ago and it's a phenomenal tournament the the the, the whole complex is beautiful you can't help but sit there and admire the mountains and the palm trees and and right in front of you and you're you're literally on the court there uh, in fact, Naomi Osaka won it the year that I was there. She was, she, you know, she was a kid. Now she's in two years. She's so mature. Yeah, two Grand Slams. That's incredible. Right, right. <laughs> but yes, Indian Wells is magnificent. And weren't you amazed at the practice court access? Oh, everything. It, it's just right. In, it's right at your fingertips. Amazing. Yeah, very close. So one, one of my favorite. Uh, memories besides meeting Roger is uh, watching Andy Murray and Thomas Burdick practice. And literally I was probably, you know, two arms lengths away from them and just watching them hit the ball and play a practice match. And I felt like Thomas Burdick's thighs were bigger than my whole body. (laughs) (laughs) You don't get a sense of that on TV because of the angle and the way it's looking down. But when you're with them, their physical presence is pretty staggering. And how about the sound when they hit it? There's just a whole nother level there. Yeah. I love that. How about on the women's side? Any favorites on that side? Well, Serena. Gotta love Serena. Just because she she really she's so feisty, she's so fiery, but she's so genuine too. And she's an American, so you gotta love that. Yep, yep, yep. It does really feel like there is this growing passion for tennis at the young girls level and all of these incredible players that are coming up in America. Yes. Yes. I think you're going to, in fact, I I wish I had some statistics, but I think you're going to see a whole lot of our young females starting to really take hold and, and blossom. What, what do you accredit that to? Do you have any sense of why the level of tennis, I feel like on the female tour is just increasing by leaps and bounds. No, I would, I would agree with you. Um, I mean, Osaka's amazing. 
Yeah, obviously Serena started it. She she brought the power game, and you know it used to be that Maria Sharapova was the hardest hitter on the tour, and she you know could hold her own against Serena at least in the beginning, <laughs> not towards the end. But now you feel like every player in the top 100 can hit that hard, serve that fast, and they're it's just amazing. The and if they can't, and if they can't, if they can't manage the pace. They have figured out other ways to manage the game. Yeah. So I do chalk it up a little bit to technology, but I do feel like uh, coaching must have a big part to do with what's happening on the women's side. You know, the coaching and um, just almost the permission to hit it that hard, almost the freedom. It's okay to do that. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but where – Listen, if Serena can do it and Venus can do it, then I can do it. That's interesting. Uh, maybe it's like uh, Daniel Collins, uh, the college player, who who is expressing herself in a very aggressive way, and some people love it, some people hate it. But uh, it's, again, that permission to, to yell, scream, grunt, cheer, you know, uh, and give themselves positive feedback as the males do. Yeah. I'll tell you who else I, I like is Bethany Maddox-Sands, just because she's she is her own person, and I, I just like everything about her. Yeah, incredible doubles player for sure. And yes. I love, love the colors and everything that she does style-wise. Style yep, wise. yep, yep. <laughs> who would you say your game is patterned after? Oh, geez, that's a tough one. I have no idea. Um, I'm definitely a doubles player, so that eliminates – uh, a whole lot at the top. I, I love playing doubles. In fact, I always find doubles way more thought-provoking than singles. Um, and I teach a lot of singles, but I, I play almost all doubles. So you're definitely a, a high-level volleyer. Love to volley. Love love overheads, and I love to serve. Oh, and then you have to hit some ground strokes every now and then. But <laughs> and no, I, d- I d- definitely love the uh, love to volley, hit overheads. Yeah. How about Hengis? I mean, she was phenomenal in singles yeah. and doubles. In she's back. She's back. Yeah, hopefully, she's still yeah. playing World team tennis as well. Uh, what what rackets are you playing with now? All these I years am later. playing with a head instinct right now. We sell head rackets at the club, and um, I, I've been I, I've kind of progressed. I went from a head prestige to the head instinct. And um, I've used it now for a couple of years, and I, I love the I love how I serve. I always have to base my racket on how I serve. If I feel like I serve well with it, then everything else will fall in line. Well, Carol, it's been such a joy talking. I, I want you to I want to give you a couple of minutes just to talk about some key tips uh, for passionate tennis players. How do they improve their game? I mean, you've been coaching for so long, and maybe someone who's listening to the podcast out there is finding tennis is really excited. Probably in the state that you're in when you first started playing. What would you say to them? I would say practice, practice, practice at the wall, practice with a friend. Uh, and then right after you practice, play a lot of matches, compete. And it doesn't have to be a three-set match. Make up your own rules. Just say, you know what, we're going to play the first person to win 21 games. Use ping pong scoring. Um, use drop hits, but compete. Play the matches with a purpose. I would say study, study your favorite player, um, go online, 
look at videos online. I like that on uh, Tennis Pal where you can actually, they have that teaching court where you can look at the videos. I love to watch videos. I like to slow them down and watch the player piece by piece. And I would say, just get out and watch as many pro events as you can. And they're, they're out there, not just the U.S. Open. You mentioned Indian Wells. We have the Miami Open. There's um, the, the Cincinnati Open. There's so many that you can go to. Get out there and watch those players in action. There's nothing better. I know they have the USTA, and there's also a New York tournament, but is there anything specific to New Jersey? Well, you know, we're right outside of Philadelphia, so for years we had a couple of really good tournaments in Philly. We don't have any um, any pro tournaments, but we have World Team Tennis. So we have the Philadelphia Freedoms. We have Billie Jean King. <laughs> so we we do. We have the Philadelphia Freedoms. So we always get to the Freedoms matches. They're, they're so much fun. Sure. And there you can literally – you can almost touch the players. That's how close you are. And, and have you ever had a chance to talk to Billie Jean King? Oh, yeah. She's terrific. She's amazing. Yeah. She's the true pioneer. Maybe I should take Serena off the top and put Billie Jean King at the very top. She's a true pioneer. Absolutely. She reinvented the game. The game, um, all all of the inequalities. She, she actually was a spokesperson for so many um, inequities in our society that are, are changing because of Billie Jean King, equal pay, equal rights, um, sexual rights. There's so many things that she has just been an amazing ambassador. Yeah. Can you describe one of the meetings that you've had with her? You must have been in awe with the first time you met her. Well, you know, a few years ago, she we actually were invited to come to like a, a meet and greet with Billie Jean King. And she sits there and talks to you like, you know, you're you're of course you're here, you know, like we're good buddies, very, na- very natural, very down to earth and, um, <laughs> extremely passionate. Yeah. And what did she say to you when she found out you were a tennis coach? You know, it was, it was a large group. Um, the one thing she did say that I will remember, <laughs> she said, we need to teach our kids to hit more balls down the line. We're hitting too many balls in the middle of the court and to the outside of the court. We need to teach our kids to hit more down the line. So what, and, and when she said that, I'm thinking, you know, I teach an awful lot across court. I'm going to start to teach that ball down the line. So I, I always credit her when I do that. Wow, that's great. That's I've I've never heard that before. Interesting comment. <laughs> yeah, that is very interesting. And actually, every time I hear her talk, it it is usually more about political, socioeconomic issues. And I don't, I haven't heard her talk about actual tennis tactics. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering how great she is, one of the greatest female players for sure. Such a natural. Oh, she was amazing. Yeah, and from my backyard, Cal State LA here. Well, WTCA just announced that Billie Jean King is their headliner at their conference in New York. So you know I'll be there. That's going to be huge. That's going to be incredible. Yes. Will you be there? I would love to go if I could. So maybe I'll try. And if I do, I'll, I'll definitely contact you. Please and, and, do. Yeah. Well, Carol, thank you so much for your time. It was really fun to hear your story and hear what is happening in tennis in New Jersey. And uh, just great to know that there are such passionate players out there. Well, I think you and I have a lot in common. <laughs> I kind of started do our, our tennis a little later in our lives. And I, sometimes I wonder if that's why we are so passionate. Yeah. We haven't really, we haven't really um, matured as much as somebody who started when they were five. Well, and maybe we didn't go through that burnout or didn't have to go through the burnout of uh, 
kids that started early and it, it was their maybe their parents' sport. But I do know that a lot of people that I play with and coach, they maybe played as kids or um, in high school, then kind of you know made the movement of wealth and got a job, went corporate, had kids, and now they come back and they think, oh, I used to play tennis, I should do that again. Uh, so I get a lot of those kinds of people. Maybe you do as well. And th- Oh, they're some of my favorites, actually. I love <laughs> when they come back. It's great because they, they do have the foundation already. Their stroke production is kind of in their brain, and then it's just making your body make it move again, right? Exactly. Yeah. And why is tennis so great to you? What do you love about tennis? Well, I, I just think it, it can make you healthy. You know, I, I know several stories of people who, oh, let me try tennis, who were overweight and five years later they've trimmed down. So it can be a health benefit. Um, the competition, I just think good, healthy competition is good for all of us. Um, it's very social. I, I've made so many great friends, worldwide great friends through tennis. So, I mean, all the things that we need to sustain us in life. Yeah, that's really great. And I love the fact that you have to be face-to-face with someone playing tennis. You, you can't do it on an app. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> so it really brings humans together. Although Tennis Pal app is awesome and can bring people together, eventually you have to have a face-to-face and you have to hit and play with someone. And, and I don't know that you can get to know anyone better than when you get to play them in a sport. You're right. You're right. You learn a lot about your opponent and your partners when you play. Exactly. Well, it was great to learn a lot about you, and thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy it. How can they reach out to you if they're interested in following up after this? You know, I, they, they can find me on Facebook. Uh, I, I love Facebook. I'm on it every day. I don't necessarily post every day, but I always I always look to see what's going on in my friends and my my uh, tennis player friends' lives, um, or I can be reached at the country club or the racket club. If you're in the New Jersey area, got to recommend heading out to Laurel Creek Country Club and giving Carol Shaw McLennan a visit. I think she'd love to hear from you. And her Facebook is Carol Shaw McLennan as well, so you can search for her there. Really appreciate your time, Carol. Been my pleasure, Philip. I hope we get to meet someday. Very soon, hopefully, we'll hit on a court. I would love it. And please give my best to Hala and Mata. Okay, will do. Thank you. Thank you, you Philip. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. So that was Carol Shaw McLennan. What a great interview and a great passionate player to have on our show. Valerie, what did you think? I loved it. I loved it. It's fascinating to me as a tennis fan and a recreational player to kind of see it from you guys' perspective just to kind of learn about the things that I'm never exposed to not being um, a coach or being coached really by anyone. I definitely was curious during the interview, she mentioned uh, Red Bull a few times and I kind of assumed that it meant that it's some sort of um, kids, kids tennis ball, maybe less pressure, bigger ball or something. Sure. Um, Yeah. I'm sorry that we didn't explain it during the interview. There is a system of learning that the USTA has enabled with coaches to kind of try to get younger kids to play. So they're giving them age appropriate balls. The balls are different in the way that they bounce and, and how much compression they have, as well as how much weight they have. So the red ball or it's kind of red and green is the easiest ball. We actually start with a foam ball usually 
which is the easiest ball, but uh, that's not what she's talking about when she says red ball. So there's a red ball that's kind of a little bit larger. It doesn't bounce as much. It's a very slow ball, and you can move up to the next level. That's age appropriate. You start playing with an orange ball, and then after that, you start playing with a green dot ball, which is almost similar to a normal tennis ball, as you and I would call it, or the yellow ball. So the yellow ball, when she talks about yellow, is actually the normal tennis ball that adults play with. Awesome. It's nice to hear it flat out explained. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so that's good uh, to explain. And definitely she comes from a coaching perspective. She's been coaching since 1997. So a lot of the lingo and the jargon, I'm sure, is just, just flows out of her naturally. And we probably shouldn't assume that anyone who's listening understands those terms. So that's a good point. Well, you know, Philip, for me, hearing about you guys having in common that you kind of had a later start to tennis was really inspiring. I have been in and out involved in tennis for 20 years or so. And my passion is certainly nowhere near as deep. I'm obviously, as you know, maybe the listeners don't know, I'm more of a tennis fan that sits and watches the pros than an actual player. But I do like to play. And I always have this dream in my head that one day, like one day I'm going to play more tennis. And just hearing you guys talk about the fact that you did start a little later in life was so inspirational for me because I thought like, you know, it's not too late. Um, I'm certainly young enough that I, there's no reason why I can't, um, make a go at it, you know, anytime. So that, that was just really cool to hear. That's awesome, Valerie. I'm so glad that you feel that way. And it's definitely one of the reasons we do the podcast is to connect with people of all ages who love tennis and are hopefully discovering it, uh, very excited about learning it, or have been playing for 20 or 30 years. So I think that's wonderful that you bring that up. We definitely want people to keep pursuing their dream of learning the game. And I feel like it never gets old. I, I, I think I've told you before, I play with a guy named Joe out on the courts who's 94 years old. And he comes out every Tuesday and Thursday to still play. And uh, it's just so encouraging, inspiring to me that maybe someday I'll get to be 94 and play tennis as well. It's a game for life. That's awesome. Definitely, I'm sure it helps the longevity of your life. <laughs> It actually does. There's actually studies that show that if you play tennis, you actually live a longer life, you're healthier. The mental uh, ability that you gain in playing tennis, similar to chess or playing games, actually increases your longevity as well. So there's so many benefits besides health benefits, of course, and competition. And maybe the most important is just the social aspect of tennis. It's just being out there and connecting with people and being a part of a tennis community. I think that's so important. Yeah, I agree. And maybe that's a natural segue to Tennis Pal because Tennis Pal really is about building the tennis community. They sponsor this podcast and that's their vision to allow people to come together to play tennis, meet other people on the app, find coaches on the app, learn lessons through their video vehicles on the app. So I really want to encourage everyone to go download Tennis Pal app. They can find it in the iTunes and Android store. And you can join the tennis community and find tennis players anywhere you live. It's funny you should mention that because I was literally about to tell you, guess what, Philip? Speaking of uh, social uh, sport, I actually, through the Tennis Pal app, just recently contacted uh, someone. And we were going to go play last night, but um, she had an injury from running. 
And uh, so, but we're going to meet up next week and play. And uh, this will be my fourth or fifth uh, meetup through the Tennis Bell app. And I just, I just love it. It's like so cool that, that I get all these new experiences with new people to just go out and hit some balls. It's great. Yes, that's so awesome. And you can meet new people and make new friends through the Tennis Pal app. So thank you, Tennis Pal app, for sponsoring this podcast. And yes. I want to give one more shout out because I, I talked with a friend online at Twitter um, and she has a podcast and she said that she would love to promote us on her podcast. So we want to do the same for her. She has a podcast called Get Happy with Jay, the letter J. What is her podcast about? On her website, she says this, looking to be encouraged to live your best life? This is the place. Get Happy with Jay is the space for nothing but inspiration and uplifting content. Whatever issues you may be facing in your life, Get Happy with Jay has covered it with much insight and thought. Be sure to check out their blog and podcast, and they have weekly updates. So thank you so much, Get Happy with Jay, for giving us a shout out, and we're happy to partner with you as well. I can't wait to listen to it. I actually, is that's something I've been looking to listen to. We all need inspiration and uplifting content, that's for sure. Right? It's true. Well, let's get back to our Roland Garros watching, and uh, I can't wait to have our fan favorite reports give us a recap of what's happening with their fan favorites during Roland Garros on our next podcast. Sounds good. And don't forget, I'll be seeing you Saturday at our Stringing Lunch and Learn. That's right. It's going to be so fun to hang out with Julian and learn so much about tennis stringing, which I feel like is so important in the game of tennis and yet not talked about enough. It's true. So just a reminder, if anybody wants to join us, it's an open event for all. And we'd love to see you guys there. If you look at our last episode, it has all the details that you would need. You can also go to lovesetmatch.net and see the blog post about the tennis stringing lunch and learn. Thanks for reminding me about that, Valerie. Of course. I've been thinking about it all week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Yes. Go, Roger.